So, okay, so uh, turn with me in your Bible. This, we're only going to say this a few more times here to Proverbs chapter 31. And if you're just joining us, man, you're, you're just, you're coming in like at, at, you know, the last five minutes of the Black Friday sale. You know, I mean, you're, you're just barely getting in the door. And, uh, but, oh man, do we have deals for you yet to offer here? Um, so we've been in a verse-by-verse study through the book of Proverbs, and uh, we have gone over all sorts of things here. And uh, like I said, next time we, we meet, I'll do a jet tour. So um, it's been a long time since we've looked at some of these chapters, and so hopefully that will uh, bring some of the themes that we've looked at a while ago back to mind. But we're in, in chapter 31 today, and um, we see at the beginning of chapter 31, uh, assuming that, that verses 10 to 31 are written by the same person, which is logical, we understand that these are the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. We see that in chapter 31, verse 1. And um, uh, I, I, we don't know for sure. I think there's good evidence, uh, good historic evidence, certainly, that King Lemuel is actually um, another name for Solomon. And the reason that it doesn't just say Solomon is that this is coming from his mother, that would be Bathsheba, uh, David's wife. And uh, Lemuel may have been sort of a, a special name that a mother would call his son. And you guys have nicknames for your kids? So this, this may be like a nickname. We don't know for sure, but, but that could be it. And so we, we talked last time about uh, the first section of Lemuel's instructions here in verses 1 to 9. And now what we want to look at is the final section, verses uh, 10 to 31. Uh, we affectionately call this the, the P31 chapter, a P31 uh, woman, as it uh, probably unmatched in Scripture is offers a, a, a biblical description of what it means to be a godly woman. Uh, so the title of the message today is The Woman to Be and the Wife to Find. Uh, now we got we got a great cross section here, right? We we have some young people, our our teenagers that are here, and uh, if you're a teenage girl, man, you you lock your crosshairs on the altitude and the and the position that we're going to look at today in terms of what God calls you to be as a woman, and th- this is a great uh, a, a great example to aim for in terms of what God calls you to be. Uh, teenage boys, man, this is the girl you're looking for. I'm going to make this real easy for you. Just take notes and go find her. And, and that's what we're going to do. Um, if you're, uh, if you're married and you're a woman, uh, this is the one, this is the type of woman that God calls you to be. Uh, if you're a husband, this is how you encourage your wife and not, not by saying, see, you, you're doing great on these three, sweetheart, but these other five, you're failing get up. Not like that. But this is how, guys, this is how you pray for your wife. This, this is the sort of things you pray for. This is the things that you encourage your wife in, um, in terms of uh, her walk with the Lord. Um, so there, there's something here, I think, for everybody. And um, so I'm going to talk to the teenage boys here real quick, because sometimes finding this girl is hard. And we're going to talk about what she looks like, but, but teenage guys, college guys... Uh, I'm going to save you all sorts of trouble here. Okay, this is this is gold that I have right here. Um, these are the top ten biblical ways to find this wife. Okay, these are biblical, God-inspired ways. These are in the Bible. So when you say, "Well, where do I find a girl like this?" this is this is how you do it. Uh, number one, find an attractive prisoner of war, 
bring her home, shave her head, trim her nails, give her new clothes, and then she's yours. That's Deuteronomy 21. These are in the Bible. I, I, I looked. Um, number two, find a prostitute and marry her. That's Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, that actually happened. Number three, find a man with seven daughters and impress him by watering his flock. Uh, who did that, by the way? Moses. Moses, okay. See how well you guys know your biblical dating here. Um, number four, purchase a piece of property and get a woman thrown in as part of the deal. Who's that? That's Boaz in the book of Ruth. Okay. Um, oh, this is my favorite. Go to a party and hide in the bushes. And when the women come out to dance, jump out of the bushes, grab one and carry her off to be your wife. It's true. It works. Uh, that's what the... That's what the Benjaminites did in Judges 21. Remember, just remember, all the weird stories of the Bible are found in the book of Judges, including the dating. Uh, okay, here you go. Um, agree to work seven years in exchange for a woman's hand in marriage. So far, so good. Then you get tricked into marrying the wrong woman, actually her sister, then you work another seven years for the woman you originally wanted to marry in the first place. That's right, 14 years for one woman. Who was that? Jacob. Remember to read the fine print. It's very important. Uh, okay, here you go. Even if no one is out there, just wander around a bit and you'll definitely find someone. It might involve God's anesthesia. Adam, right? He's looking around going... Actually, he wasn't looking around. He was happy, right? Remember, he's naming the animals. Everything's good. And God has to do the thing with the animals. Boy, girl, boy, girl. Remember that? Okay, never mind. Forget that one. Um, okay, here you go. Become the emperor of a huge nation. And then hold a beauty contest. Who's that? That's Artaxerxes in Esther. Very good. Where are we here? Uh, oh, okay. Here's another good one. Uh, boys, get ready to write this down because there's a narrative here. You, you have to. There, there's a conversation you have to have with mom and dad here. Okay, so write this down. God-inspired instruction here. Okay. When you see someone you like, go home and tell your parents, "I have seen woman. Now get her for me." Okay, and we're not done, hang on. Um, If your parents question your decision, simply say, get her for me, she's the one for me. So, Samson, okay. Um, You can wait for your brother to die and marry his widow, which was not just happened in the Bible, it was actually the law. Uh, It happened with Onan and Boaz and and others. Um, uh, not recommended. You can do what Solomon did and make up for quality with quantity. 
We don't want to do that. That's a bad example to follow. Or, or you could just do what the Apostle Paul did and say, a wife? No way. And uh, commit yourself to a life of singleness. So there you go. Anyway, so guys, top ten biblical ways to find a wife. Hope you got some of those time-tested, God-inspired. Actually, you know what's interesting? And we laugh at that. The Bible does not prescribe a method for dating. There's no, those are what we call description, right? You've got to separate description from prescription. And there's no, there's no like step one, step two, step three, uh, which makes it challenging. Um, but as we're going to see today, um, what the Bible says most about marriage and, and the process of finding somebody is first to commit yourself to be the right person. And secondly, to wait on God's timing to find the right person. And there's a there's hundred other things we can talk about, but what we see in our text today is it's mostly about the type of person you are. And uh, so let's, uh, let's jump, we're going to parachute in here to uh, Proverbs chapter 31. Now what's interesting is, uh, does anybody know what's, what's unique about this little section of Proverbs? Uh, you can't see it in English, unfortunately, so we gotta, I got to peek at the Hebrew text here real quick, but it's an acrostic. Okay, there are uh, 22 letters. How, how many letters do we have in the English alphabet, by the way? How many letters? 26. There's only 22 in the Hebrew alphabet. And as you're aware, uh, the Bible, the Old Testament was not originally written in English. It was written in an old uh, Semitic language called Hebrew. You write it right to left. It's kind of weird. And the characters look like little pictures. And um, But what's interesting is this section, if you look at it, uh, Starting in verse 10 down to verse 31, you see that we have 22 verses. And it's an acrostic. So if you were to look at this in Hebrew, what you would see is that the first verse would start with a letter A, and then the second verse would start with B, and then the second would start with C, so on and so forth, all the way through uh, the alphabet. And um, actually, it wouldn't look like that. It would look like this. Uh, first four letters of the English alphabet, first four letters of the Hebrew alphabet, but you get the idea. It's an acrostic, so you work your way all the way through that. You say, well, why why would this guy do that? I mean, that, that just kind of makes it a lot more complicated. Why don't you just write your little thing and move on? Why would he turn it into an acrostic? Okay, it could be a, a memorization aid. That's one reason that they would do that. Because remember, in this day, you would not have a Bible that you would walk around with. You would, you would hear parts of the Bible when you would go to synagogue. Uh, but you probably, you, you didn't have a, a Proverbs scroll that you just kept in your coat all the time. Uh, so it could be for memorization. What's another, what's another reason that acrostics occur in the Bible? When, when we think of, when we say from A to Z, what are we usually emphasizing? It's inclusive. It's complete. And that's often what acrostics serve in the Bible. They, they help with, with memorization. That's one uh, reason they do that. And they also emphasize completeness. So, so this, this, is, this is the complete picture. The, 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 the writers are trying to help us to see this is a comprehensive look of what it means to be a godly woman. So let's, let's just look at the text and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down together, okay? Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find... Her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. 
She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, or we might say the needy, and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits amongst the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teachings of kindness, uh, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates." Okay, well, we'll notice right out of the gate here that there is a question, a question, an excellent wife who can find, uh, the word excellent means uh, noble character or strong in, in terms of um, uh, her ability and capability. You know what's interesting, um, and this is, this is actually kind of funny. Uh, a lot of the terms used here to describe this woman are borrowed from the military. Interesting. So, so this word, which is a military term, uh, it occurs 246 other times. Over 200, over 200 times it describes an army or a warrior. So, so when you think excellent, what comes to mind? We're thinking about a capable, strong, um, noble, honorable type of person. What's that? Loyal. Loyal. Okay. Um, and that, that word helps us. Skilled, valiant, capable. Uh, so our, our college and teenage guys, you're, you're looking for a girl who can be a wife of excellence. And ladies, this is, uh, this is your goal. Notice what he says here. He says, an excellent wife who can find. What do you think? What do you think the writer means by that? She's hard to find. Rare. Yeah. So, so this is not, and this is, this is what's so challenging when, when you think about um, the call to be this type of person, the call to find this type of person. There's, there's not a lot of options in terms of looking. And there are very few people like this. I mean, you know that. You know, you're watching football, maybe a little bit over the weekend. Uh, maybe you're doing a little Netflix. Uh, maybe you did, did you Black, did Black Friday? Do you guys do Black Friday? Are you willing to admit it? 
you know, and, and you have like, you know, all ungodliness comes to bear because something is 50% off. Um, I mean, the, the point is, this is, this is not something you're going to find every day. So if you're a woman, you recognize that God is calling you to really be a rare type of woman. A, a, a woman of nobility that that is is not something you see every day and and single guys if you're if you're looking for the right person you recognize that for every couple of hundred probably every couple of thousand you might find one of these um, so we have to think one of the things we, we tell uh, the guys in our high school and, and college ministry is the spiritual discipline of waiting and trusting God to find the right person. Now notice, notice her value. Her worth is far above jewels. I'm still in introduction on the notes, by the way, here. Um, I should put that up there so you know that. There you go. Um, yeah, look, look at this. Her, her worth is far above jewels. Finding an excellent wife does not even compare to the greatest treasure, which is why, if you just look at uh, Proverbs 19.14, or just listen, house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Uh, you, you don't inherit a godly wife. You recognize that a godly wife comes from the Lord himself. Proverbs 12:4. an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Because a wife of this caliber does not even compare to even the best earthly possession, it follows that the pursuit of such a person should take precedent over all other pursuits. Um, okay, so let's jump in here. Let, let, let's let's uh, figure out what this girl is like, what we're aiming for. This is the woman to be and the wife to find. Notice, first of all, her foundation. Turn to the very end of the chapter. We're going we're to start and kind of work backward through this. Because without this attribute, you, you miss the significance of all the others. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now that, that, should, that should strike you because where have we seen this term used before? Not everybody at once? It's the whole theme of the book. That's right. Proverbs chapter 1 starts off with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Everything you need to know is built on a fear of the Lord. We saw it in chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about the fear of the Lord is the person who turns away from evil. So we've seen that this fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Um, and the fear of the Lord is the framework through which this woman lives her life. And you've got to see that, because all these other things you're going to see, you think, man, this is superwoman. No, it's not superwoman. And, and ladies, you can, a lot of ladies I know have read this and they go, I could never do that. I can't compete with a P31 that this girl is, is supermom. She's superwoman. She, she jumps over, you know, tall playpens in a single bound and, and all sorts of things. And I can't be this. And that's why it's important that we start with her foundation, because the reason that she is able to be the woman God wants her to be is not because she's capable, but because she has a robust trust in her God. And that, 
that trust, that belief, that foundation of a walk with God is what gives her the grace and gives her the wisdom to be what God calls her to be. Now, now we understand reading this, this is a, it's a snapshot. And not every woman's situation is going to look exactly the same. For example, this text assumes that the woman is married. But that doesn't mean you can't take what it says here and apply it to a woman who's single. Or a woman who's been divorced. Or a woman who's been widowed. These attributes that we see here can be applicable in different situations. But the most important thing is to recognize that she fears the Lord. And it's that relationship that forms the foundation and framework for everything else that she is. Uh, Ed Welch, in his wonderful book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, says this. The person who fears God will fear no one else. Right? I mean, we just went over our, our prayer list. There's medical things. There's wildfires. There's problems with family. And the reality is, you're not going to overcome all those things. But you can trust your Heavenly Father and draw near to Him and find a confidence and peace in Him and know that it will be okay because He's the one at work in your life. That That's the foundation of this woman's life, of fear of the Lord. And, and remember, just... Sometimes we get caught up on the word fear. Fear has the idea of a deep-seated trust and love and allegiance to God that says, I live for the glory of my Father. And that's it. So that's where it starts. So, so, so uh, uh, teenage guys, we have some single guys in here. Um, the very first question, and really to some extent... The most important question you need to ask is, what's this girl's walk with Jesus like? What is it? Is she involved in serving others? Is her walk with the Lord strong? Does she read her Bible and pray? Can she explain what she believes and why? (laughs) There is nothing more attractive than a woman who loves Christ. Right? Now, notice in our verse here, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. What about beauty? The the Bible doesn't downplay a woman's uh, appearance. Okay, It it doesn't say here that beauty is bad or it's wrong. What does it say? It's It's not the most important thing. Why is it not the most important thing? It's not everlasting. Notice the contrast here. And we'll see this in in some other Proverbs here. Um, Beauty is not bad. And and praise God that, that, uh, that God gives that to women. But it doesn't last. Right? But a woman's faith in the Lord will last eternally. If she knows Christ and walks with him. And you will see, guys, and, and single guys, you just, you just need to uh, know this, that a, a woman's character, a woman's walk with God is the most significant part of a marriage relationship. And that may be something that, that you just have to trust us married guys about, but it really is true. A woman's walk with God, her character, her faith, um, beauty doesn't last, but the fear of the Lord 
will last forever. And, and notice, uh, uh, we, 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 can't, we can't leave this without just noting a couple other Proverbs, like Proverbs 11.22. You remember this one? Proverbs 11.22. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout. Now, now just get that image there, okay? Big old pig. I know it was turkey week, but a big old honking, you know, Texas hog, right? Big old Texas hog. And you're looking, you're like, man, that thing is ugly and it's, it's, uh, big and it's makes weird noises and smelly and, and you look and you look at the, the, the no, the, the snout of this huge, ugly, powerful animal. There's a little ring of gold hanging out there. You go, what on earth is that doing there? And that's Solomon's point, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. You see that? It's out of place. It's a tragedy. It's a waste. So single guys, remember, even though she might be attractive, I would say she might be a pig. No, 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 no I'm not going to say that. Um, just remember that that that's not determinative, is it? You're looking for a woman who fears the Lord. Okay, so that's her foundation. She fears the Lord. She has a walk with God, and you see that. Um, now, by the way, real quick before we move on, how are you going to figure that out? How are you going to know that this this girl really loves Christ and is walking with Him, and there's a strong foundation, and she knows her Bible, and she knows theology, and she she's not impressed with you until she knows that you love Christ. How are you going to find out what this girl really believes? Talk and observe. Talk and observe. That's right. Lots of time. There, there is no, no substitute for time in a relationship. Okay. All right. I've got to keep going here. Number two. Let's look at her marriage secondly. Look at verses 11 and 12. Really tell us about her marriage. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. So we see right here in verse 11, we think about her marriage here. She's trustworthy. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything more important in a relationship than being able to trust that person? Or let's turn it around. Let's say you're in a relationship, not necessarily marriage, just just any relationship, friendship, family relationship, work relationship. If you can't trust that person, how does that go? You see, mistrust, distrust spoils the whole thing, doesn't it? And we see here that this woman says the heart of her husband trusts her. That, that, that reveals that this is a trustworthy woman. She's reliable. She's responsible. She has good judgment. The key to all good relationships is that they are built on trust. Now, why does her husband trust her? Well, that goes back to the foundation, right? He trusts her because she knows this girl isn't ultimately committed to me. She's ultimately committed to the Lord. And you see that derivative? You know, the, the reason we trust people is not because, you know, people can sin, right? Like we sin, that's part of the problem. So it's not like there's a perfect relationship or perfect people. No, no, no. Trust ultimately is a derivative of a person's faith and trust in the Lord. Because even when they sin, even when they blow it, what are they going to do? 
they're going to repent. They're going to seek forgiveness. They're going to seek change and growth. So we're not looking for the perfectly trustworthy person here. We're looking for a person that so trusts Christ that even when they fail, we know they're going to repent and forgive and move on. And so her husband trusts her, not because she is intrinsically trustworthy, but because he sees her robust faith in the Lord. Now, contrast this with Proverbs 7. We're going to do a lot of contrast here because all throughout the book of Proverbs, the Bible has told us about the kind of woman you don't want to get involved with. Uh, she's called the adulterous woman or the immoral woman. And um, uh, listen to one example of that immoral woman from Proverbs 7. In contrast to this woman who's trustworthy, Proverbs 7 says this. This is the, the immoral woman talking. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Now, this is what she says about her husband. Okay, This is the immoral woman talking about her husband. For the man is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. You think the heart of her husband trusts in her? Not at all. Because she's, um, she's out sneaking around behind his back and not trustworthy. So... Her marriage is characterized by trust. Secondly, she helps rather than inhibits her husband's work. Look what it says here. And he will have no lack of gain. This is another military term. refers to the goods that an army would take from the enemy after they had been defeated. But in this context, it just has the idea of profit or gain. And what it means is that she will contribute to and help her husband in such a way that she does not inhibit the task God has called him to do. You say, well, what's that? Well, it, it, he, he has a job, right? He has a calling in the home. If, if there are children in the home, he has a calling, a ministry at church. Maybe he uh, greets people at the door. Maybe he teaches a Sunday school class. Maybe he um, you know, is involved in uh, you know, mowing lawns at the church. Maybe he's uh, working the sound booth. You know, and the idea is that she... This woman looks at her husband and says, I recognize that my primary role is to help my husband. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when God said to Adam that he would make a helper suitable for him. Uh, Author Elizabeth George says this, She doesn't want him to lack anything, so she chooses to give of herself, her mind, her strength, to do the work and make the necessary contribution so that her husband will have no lack of gain. You see that? There's a unity. There's a connectedness. They're, they're going the same direction in life. And both husband and wife understand uh, the nature of their roles and how that works. Think of how many, how many wives and husbands end up competing with each other. You notice this? It's kind of a sad trend. You know, he's kind of off doing his stuff. He's got his friends, his hobbies, his stuff. And she's over there. She's got her friends and her hobbies and her life. And, and you know, they, they happen to live in the same house. And they might even like each other. But, but there's, not a, there's not a unity in that. There, there's not, they're not going in the same direction. They're, they're not working together to accomplish the work that God has called them to. And this is a woman who recognizes her role in marriage. Uh, I, maybe you cringe like I do every now and then, you know, you'll be at the office, you'll, you'll be at Walmart, you'll hear some guy and, or some gal, and she's talking about her husband. 
She's talking to her girlfriend. Oh, yeah, my husband this, my husband that. You don't believe this, football this, foot, you know, golf. And, and she, she's just, just ridiculing her husband. Now, I recognize, I mean, she, she may be married to a guy that isn't real nice. And that, that may very well be. But to hear her demeaning and tearing down this guy that she married. And, and we see that that's not, that's not this woman's perspective. Her perspective is to serve and live in a way that he would have no lack of gain. In fact, this is, this is like the funniest verse of the whole thing. She's characterized by consistent goodness. Look at this. She does him good, verse 12, and not evil all the days of her life. Now, now, here's how this works. What, what guy says, see that girl over there? Yeah. I'm gonna marry her. Okay. Um, why are you gonna do that? Because I know she's going to be really mean to me, right? She's going to be evil to me, right? right. No, no one does that. She goes, oh, wow, this is the woman I've been waiting for my whole life, and she's awesome, and he's awesome, and we're going to spend life together. And But how many times is that not realized, right? Because he wasn't paying attention, because she wasn't paying attention. You get to know a person and you get to watch. How do they treat people? How do they talk about people? How do they respond under stress? How do they respond when they don't get their way? Now, if you want to do this, Black Friday is a great day to do this. You know, just, just park it right outside of Walmart. You know, sit out there in your lawn chair and your binoculars and just watch. And you'll get all sorts of examples of, of the wrong way to handle things. And it's so simple, guys, but just think. She does him good and not evil. She is genuinely concerned with helping her husband. Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But listen to the contrast. But she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. So there's this huge, huge potential. Yes, you may. I think one of the things, and this is wonderful, one of the things that the Bible is telling us here is we need to be very analytical in our choice of spouse, mm-hmm. but probably 99% of the time we use our emotions to make decisions, mm-hmm. which is completely clouds yeah. what you actually see, because right. there are times it's like, I, I should have seen that. That's right. Whatever, it was there all along, so we, we can't let emotions cloud our judgment, this is a very analytical transaction. It is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we're not, I appreciate, Nick, what you're saying, um, absolutely. And of course, we're not against feelings, and that's not what, what Nick is saying. What he's saying is we really need to be prayerful and thoughtful. I like, I like analytical, you know, you're, you're thinking about principles rather than just feeling your way through a relationship. Now, now I don't want to step on your toes, but, you know, you don't get your theology from country music. You don't want to do that. Okay, and I like country music, and you like country music, but but we don't we don't want to just follow your heart because you know you follow your heart right off a cliff is what you're going to do. Um, so be careful. Yes, ma'am. That's a great question, um, Joan. And I, I think, yeah, the snapshot we get here is a woman really in midlife. She's got children in her home. 
right? I mean, she's she's doing stuff. She's engaged. So yeah, we're not looking at you know a recent college graduate necessarily here. But I, I, that's a great question. I, I think I would answer that two ways. One is I think you can see these things in seed form. I think you can see an overall trajectory of a woman's life. And then I would go back to, to chapter 30, or verse 30, which is why we started there. Just, you know, if she really if she really has a heart for God, it doesn't matter that she doesn't have the maturity level of a 55-year-old yet. Um, if she loves God, that's where she's aiming, and by God's grace, that's where she's going to go. So, On the other hand, I think we set the bar way too low for our young people. And, and I think that if we were to look at Young people, certainly in this day and age, we would see a level of maturity that would that would shock us. So, right, that's right, that's right. Okay, let's talk uh, thirdly about her ministry. Her ministry, we see this in uh, verses twelve and following. Um, we've seen it with her husband. Well, let's pick it up in verse. 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night, gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. The thing to see here is that uh, this, this woman recognizes her primary call and ministry is to her husband and to her children. And, and that is, even in saying that, you recognize how countercultural that is. I mean, that, that's like really, really radical and potentially offensive to a completely secular culture. But you know what, guys? God doesn't think so. When God calls a woman to marriage, to motherhood, that is an honorable, dignified, respectful, high calling. Now, that's not saying if, if you're single or for some reason, you aren't able to have children. That doesn't put you in a second class. In fact, we know we know God has a special uh, place in his heart uh, toward women in that position because sometimes that's a very difficult position to be in. They're not second-class Christians in that regard. But this, this calling is honorable and significant and, and dignified and respectable. And, and here's the deal. This woman embraces the calling that God has for her life. She doesn't fight against it. She doesn't bring in other things to compete with it. She is content in the role and calling that God has given her. And in fact, not just content, we see her flourishing in this role, don't we? Uh, we, we can look at just a, a few of these things here. Um, Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house. Proverbs 31.27, she looks well to the ways of her household. Um, Notice in verses 14 to 16, regarding her children, she makes sure that her, her children are nourished. She feeds them there. Verses 21 to 22, she clothes them. I know a lot of you ladies have just been doing this, right? We're expecting that, that first cold spell to come through, and the kids have grown over the last year, and they need all those warm, uh, those cold uh, weather clothes. And, um, and so you've been thinking about that. That's what she's doing. She's caring for her children. She's providing for them. She's clothing them. She's feeding them. And uh, so we see that. Notice also um, that she she works with her hands to accomplish that. In verses 13, 16, 19, 22, 24, this is an active girl. Uh, she is working and laboring for the betterment of her family. Now notice after that, what does she do? After feeding her children, providing for her children and family, look at verses 19 and 20. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, 
and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. And that's this woman has a heart for her family, but this is important. Her scope of ministry goes beyond her family. She's not just thinking of her family only. She's thinking of those in need, uh, the poor, the afflicted, people that um, are, are in difficult situations, and she provides for them. She has a heart for them. She's ministering to them. Um, and can, can, I, can I just say something? I think, by God's grace, we got a church for a, full of ladies like this. I mean, what, what a joy it is to be a pastor at a church of ladies that love Christ, love and serve their families, have a, a scope of ministry beyond even their family. I'm good. You, you want to see the heart of ladies in our church? Show up on a Wednesday night here, and you will see all sorts of God's women running around caring for children in our community, uh, many of whom that don't have a church home, many of whom come from unstable families. And uh, so I, I just want to say I'm, I'm thankful for that, and I think we got a church that we're very blessed uh, to have ladies like that illustrating what we're reading here. Notice also, after that, it's not just that she's thinking about her, her own family, that's primary, and the needs of others, that's secondary. Notice what happens in verse 24. She's got an eBay business going on here. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. So a lot of times people say, oh, you know, does the, does the Bible inhibit a woman from working outside the home? Well, no, it doesn't. In fact, we got an example right here of a woman that had a little little side business selling belts and linens to the tradesmen who would come in through the town. But I think what's important to see here is that the Bible does not inhibit a woman from working outside the home. That's 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 certainly uh, uh, illustrated here and is allowable. I think what what you want to see here is where is the woman's priority. She's not neglecting her primary calling to her family to pursue some sort of work outside the home. And that's where really wisdom and and uh, um, care is needed here. And, and again, of course, every woman's situation is different. Every family situation is different. I mean, you've got military families. You've got single mom situations. You've got situations where a Christian woman's married to an unbelieving man who's not being all that God wants him to be. So we understand, I'm not saying there's a one-size-fits-all approach to all of this. And wisdom and care and, and, and biblical instruction need to guide uh, each woman to figure out how she can best honor God. But I think the priorities here are what really stand out. Now notice this. The, the main part of this whole thing is this woman's character. I mean, look at this. She's a hard worker. We see her working. It says her lamp does not go out at night. She's up early. She's staying up late. She's providing for her, her family. She's providing for the poor. Now again, you understand, she's not super mom. And that's where we can look at this and say, oh, I could never, I could never be this. No, no. It's her faith in the Lord that energizes her ability to be this sort of person. But we see she's, she's a hard worker. She's able to research and make good decisions. Sometimes, sometimes people think that, you know, a biblical view of a wife is like this, this gal that never leaves her house and doesn't have a driver's license and, you know, she, she uh, doesn't know anything about anything. She just relies on her husband. And can, can you see that that is not the picture here at all? That, that is not, this is an industrious, capable, gifted, accomplished woman. And verse 16 says she considers a field and buys it. She's into real estate, apparently, right? 
and uh, knows how to make good decisions on her own. She's characterized by strength. We see that mentioned three different times. Strength of character, strength of ability. She's characterized, verse 25, by dignity. This is a dignified woman. And and, and can I just just say, um, for the ladies in the room here, I'm so thankful that we have just wonderful godly ladies here. If if we could put our finger on one need of the up-and-coming generation, is it not for our young ladies to be women of dignity? I mean, you walk on the average high school campus, and dignity is not the word that comes to mind. Guys or girls, frankly. But women, young ladies need the instruction of older, godly, more mature moms, women in the church, women in their small group, women in their youth ministry, to help them know what is, you you can't turn on an episode of Netflix and find dignity. It's just not there. So this is something that has to be really taught and instructed to our young ladies. Has a positive attitude. This is not a pessimist. This is not Mrs. Eeyore. Okay? This is not me. Oh, it's me. It's going to be a cloudy day. This is not, this is not a negative, pessimistic woman. What does it say in uh, verse uh, 25? She smiles at the future. Why does she smile at the future? Because she's fearing the Lord. She knows that Jesus has it all taken care of. It's not because her life is perfect. It's not because there's no problem. She had the same problems in your home that you have. Children that don't obey the first time, unexpected finances, health issues, problems with her neighbor. She's got all the same problems that you and I have. But she smiles at the future because she knows the one who holds her future. So she's, she's optimistic. She's strong. She's got a good attitude. She's wise and kind. She opens her mouth, verse 26, in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. This is a girl you'd want to go to for advice. You know that? The type of woman you say, you know what, I'm going to go talk to that woman because I know, I know she's going to be kind to me and I know what she's going to say is biblically wise. And she's not idle. We, we've seen this. Good night. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not, she's not on her iPhone all day. She doesn't check her Facebook every two minutes. She's not binge-watching her latest uh, show. You understand that that, that a call, God, to to, to men and women, is a call to work, a call to serve, a call to engage people, to love God and love neighbor. It's an active thing. And yes, there's a time for rest and leisure. I love rest and leisure. But that's not the main program of her life. To work hard for the Lord is a commendable quality. And finally, she's not characterized by fear. Remember verse 21 says she's not afraid of snow, snow uh, because her, yeah, she lives in Michigan, right? You know, uh, she's not afraid of snow. Why? Because she's, she's made provisions for her household. She's prepared. She's planned ahead. You know, we could look at some other, uh, you can look at these verses on your own time. Um, just a few other places in Scripture that talk about uh, the qualities of a godly woman. First Peter chapter three and First Timothy two are the two really places to go. First Peter three three tells us that she is chaste and respectful in her behavior. Uh, chaste just means pure. Uh, she's upright. She's uh, godly. She's respectful in her behavior. 
And, of course, those words in 1 Peter 3, she has a gentle and quiet spirit. She's not, she's not loud and boisterous. Um, we think about that in contrast to the immoral woman we've seen here. She's boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. And yet this dear lady is content with a primary ministry to her home. She's not loud. She's not annoying in her speech. Um, interesting. First Timothy 2 talks about uh, modest dress. Like that, that's, that's a great way, I think, to, to, to really um, observe from a distance how a woman is thinking about herself. And if we have another crisis, again, uh, older godly ladies in the room, um, this, this is an area where we need to be helping the younger generations. You know, guys, I think we have a calling to help our young men to know how to treat a woman with respect and purity and dignity and kindness relating to that person as a person and not as uh, someone to lust over. And likewise, for our ladies, we need to teach our young ladies what it means to dress tastefully. I mean, you don't have to dress like it's 1955, but, but you do need to think about being modest and tasteful and, and appropriate in dress. And, and that, uh, you know, that's, not, that's not just a, a relic of old Christianity. The Bible actually says... That's what characterizes a woman of godliness. She's not, she's not flaunting her body. She's not using her body in a way that God did not intend. And she's characterized by good works. We've seen that here. Now notice this. This, this is really interesting. And this, this is what we're supposed to just look at and be shocked about. Because in contrast to what we just read... All throughout the book of Proverbs, we've heard about the wrong type of woman. Listen to the wrong type of woman. Her ways are unstable. Proverbs 5, 6. Her ways are unstable. She does not even know it. She does not know the path of life, meaning she has no spiritual life. Proverbs 5, verse 6. The immoral woman. Proverbs 9, verse 13. She is naive and knows nothing. The woman of folly is boisterous. She's naive. She knows nothing of spiritual truth. Number four, she's, she flatters with her words and can be used, in other words, she's using her words to seduce with her flattering lips. Proverbs 7 says she should seduces him. That's why our chapter here, chapter 31 verse 30 says that charm is deceitful. Charm is not a good quality according to the Bible. Respectful, dignified, pleasant, kind, yes. But charming, you gotta be careful with that. She has no convictions. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 20. This is the way of the adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done nothing wrong. She has no conscience. She has no convictions. She's boisterous and she's rebellious. And she's contentious. She nags. She quarrels. She disputes. By the way, what does the Bible say is the main influence that a woman has in her relationships? I mean, I mean, are we supposed to nag for Jesus? I mean, is that is that the way the way to take it? What is it? It's influence through example. It's influence through example. That's First Peter chapter three. Win him without a word by your chaste and respectful behavior. The most powerful influence a woman has is her example before God. And that's not to say that she can't engage in conversation. Certainly, she can. But the Bible says the most powerful influence a woman has is a godly life. 
Okay, so that's the contrast. It's be- okay, you want the contrast? It's better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. So pay attention. All right. And finally, I love this. Finally, look at this woman's fruit. Verse 28. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Notice her children bless her. Now, now I know what you're thinking. Some of you, are, some of you got children at home and you're like, man, what's going on here? They're not always blessing mom, right? They're arguing with mom. They're arguing about chores or arguing about homework. Okay, so that, that's, not, that's not it. What, what this is saying is when all is said and done, her children look back on what mom has invested in them with thankfulness. This is not the scope of a 10-year-old. This is the scope of a 30-year-old looking back and seeing um, seeing the thankfulness and, and the blessing that their mom was. Notice also, her husband praises her also. Um, and you know that there, there, is, there is no better gift than being married to a godly woman. And a, and a husband says that. He praises her. He thanks her. He brags about her uh, in a godly way, in that way. Notice what he says. I think it's very interesting. He doesn't say, you know, my wife is awesome, right? I mean, it, it, you know, she's a good cook. She, she, uh, um, she's great at what she does. Listen to what he says. Many daughters have done noble. You know, there's lots of really, really great godly girls out there. But you excel them all. That's the honest, sincere evaluation of her husband. Finally, what ultimately speaks for her? This goes right back to what we said about her influence, right? What's her biggest influence? Verse 31, give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Who she is as a person, the blessing of her life, the blessing of her ministry and influence are what bring her praise. Um, and so we see that that ultimately is uh, the fruit of her hands there. Now, let me say this. Um, I know we've got single people, we've got married people, we've got all sorts of different types of marriages, we have widows, we have divorced people, all sorts of things here. I just want to remind you, and just hang on to your papers just for a second, stay with me for another minute. Um, the Bible is full of examples of imperfect people. Imperfect women. Think about Hannah, who just wanted a child, and she was childless for all those years. Think about Leah, who no guy would ever set his eyes of affection on her, and he had, and she had the younger daughter that everybody wanted to take to prom and, and all that, right? Think, think, about, think about women like uh, Abigail, who's married to an ungodly man. Okay? Think about women in the Bible that were sexually assaulted and wondered, is there any hope for me 
after this horrific event. And I just, you know, we can read this and say, man, I could never be that. This is ideal and all that. I just want to remind you that when we look at this text in the whole breadth of Scripture, what we see is not a woman that has her life perfect, not a woman that everything goes just as planned, but we see women in all these different situations who hoped in God. And it was their trust in God It was their relationship with God that whatever their circumstance, that is what built them into the woman that God wanted them to be and allowed them to finish their course and complete their ministry and excel in those areas, even where life circumstances were very difficult. So let's not walk away from this discouraged or hopeless. Let's walk away from this recognizing that this woman, just like all of these ladies in the Bible that I've just mentioned, the key is the fact that they were fearing the Lord and walking with Him in whatever circumstances. And here's the thing. They found that Jesus was faithful and sufficient in whatever situation they were in. And that's the key. That's the key to keep in mind. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, amazing text. And we, uh, we want to come away with it, not discouraged, but recognizing that there is hope in our Savior in whatever situation my dear sisters here find themselves in. Lord, I pray that they would hope in you and they would walk with you and that they would find you to be faithful and true. And and as they do, uh, that they would blossom in their ministry and in their character, uh, knowing that there are um, there is sufficient grace and wisdom as we look to you. Lord, thank you that we have so many examples of godly women in our church. Uh, we're thankful for that. Thank you for the influence they are on our younger ladies and uh, we're just so thankful, Lord. Would you, would you help our ladies to excel still more in these things? In Christ's name we pray, amen.